Welcome back to another podcast. I'm Ginger and this is Amanda and we are so excited to dig into the different types of therapy people can request to have. So there's a lot of reasons why people go to therapy. There's a lot of, um, I mean, Amanda's really the pro here. So I'm just going to go ahead and toss it over to her because she knows so much more about it. I've had it. Uh, I've participated in therapy myself. We own a mental health clinic for children early on in our career. Um, but really, uh, Amanda knows knows all about it. Okay, well, what if I give you a little bit of background about myself first? Uh, we have, um, I have uh, about 20 years of experience in the field. And my very first job in the field was working with juvenile sex offenders. I was straight out of college. And I went into... Um, into a clinic for a an interview that was like they were interviewing for lots of positions in the company right yeah and so uh i didn't really know it was kind of like a variety of variety of different positions with kids adults homeless people like just lots of things and um the position with juvenile sex offenders is the one that I was offered. And I was only 21 years old. I was a very hesitant, very unsure, uh, very naive. And um, it turned out to be just really the best job I could have gotten at the time. Uh, I learned so much by working with that population, not only about um, sexual dysfunction and addiction that would just carry me through the rest of my career, but also about um, people and people doing the best they can uh, with with where they are and redemption for people. And I just worked with the most amazing social workers and um, it was really the best job. And then after that, I worked at some other inpatient facilities that were a little bit less desirable in my opinion. Um, <laughs> And then, uh, and then uh, in Connecticut, I worked at a nonprofit youth ser service bureau for 10 years. And that was just a great experience. And then I moved to Texas and I started teaching and started just um, continued in private practice. So, uh, so that's a little bit about, about me and where I come from. Okay, so out of all of your experience, where were you challenged the most? Oh, definitely that first job. I mean, I cried every single night, every night. And I was newly married. I came home and I would cry. And my husband was like, uh, you should quit this job. This is crazy. You're making no money. <laughs> it's important at the time. <laughs> You're making no money. And I just said, no, I have to know if I can do this. Like, yeah, if I can't do this then I can't get a master's degree. Like I have to stop. Like, yeah, I have to know whether I can do this. And the so it really does take a special type of person to be able to dig into the lives of humans the way that you have to in that position, I, I assume. Yeah. Well, and I just think the disclosures were so disturbing. Um, and, you know, in that way, it's really served me too, because sometimes people will be hesitant to tell me something and I'll say, don't worry, I've already heard it all. Yeah. <laughs> you can't tell me anything that, yeah. that I haven't heard before or, you know, and that's, I think, a gift to my clients. I, I will never have a look of shock on my face Yeah, because I've already heard all of the worst things that, that, that we 
do as human beings. So definitely the hardest, but the worst. I always tell my students, go get a really hard job. <laughs> now that you're yeah. graduating, go get a really hard job and figure out if you can do this, if this is what you actually want before you spend a ton of money on grad school. I mean, I think that's really good advice in any career path is, is really dive in to whatever you're wanting to do and get some experience because that's the only way to come out the other side, really knowing if it's the right fit or if that's your calling or whatever. Cause I think that, you know, especially our generation compared to previous generations, we change careers often. Yes. Much more. And, so. Yeah. And, and people aren't sticking to like the one corporation getting your retirement, you know, mm -hmm. people just don't do that really anymore. Uh, so. There's not, there's not much retirement left. Yeah. There's not very many pensions left. There's not, except in the public sector, but it feels like everybody's just kind of on their own that way. Yeah. Okay. So, so let's just do a hypothetical. Like I'm struggling, let's say with something more um, common, like anxiety, depression, I have a couple, I have a couple options, right? I could do medication. Mm -hmm. I could do, um, or a person could do therapy. Mm -hmm. um, so if you were going to go the medication route, that would be like a psychiatrist, right? Right. So I had a funny conversation with my sister-in-law the other day because she said, my daughter's psychiatrist just spends like five minutes with her. I mean, the appointments are just not even anything. She doesn't do any kind of counseling. And I'm like, yeah, because psychiatrists are doctors. <laughs> they don't, they yeah. don't do counseling, but that's a really common misperception. And I think it's worthwhile because people ask me all the time, how do I pick a good therapist? I don't know. It's a crapshoot. But there are some things that you can know that will be helpful in kind of deciding what's going to be a good fit for you that comes around their certification. So okay. Let's take what we're going to Yes. So a psychiatrist is either going to be a PhD or a PsyD. Um, PsyDs often have, they usually have more like clinical background in their education. PhDs, it really is straight up a doctor. Like it really is a medical degree. Um, and they're really, and it, it's important. I should say all of these are important. They are all pieces of the puzzle that yeah. help, you know, human beings figure out, uh, how to best do their lives. But um, a PsyD will have like a little bit more clinical experience. And so you might have um, a little more of a clinical interaction um, with actual like helping things with a psychiatrist with a PsyD. Um, there are also nurse practitioners, APRNs, who prescribe medication for psychiatric or psychotropic medication. Um, and they can be a great option because they're less expensive. Oftentimes I mean, they're in like OBGYN scenarios, aren't they? You know what? They can be in any family medical practice, okay. can have an APRN. Um, and I worked with an APRN in Connecticut and I loved it because I knew I could send people to him and it was less expensive. I mean, a psychiatrist okay. is going to run you often, you know, $250 for that 15 minute session. Yeah. So um, an APRN sometimes um, can be a really great option. Some of them won't prescribe all medications like um, with, uh, some of your ADHD medications that are a little bit more government regulated, um, they won't, they won't want to do those, but it, it just kind of depends. So, so, so at what point, 
if I, if I was, if, if someone was going to go down that route, when would you for sure want like a psychiatrist? I mean, I think if you're struggle, first of all, I think medication's really helpful, especially to level things out. If you are really struggling and not doing well, there's absolutely nothing wrong with getting on medication to get to get things leveled out until yeah. you can till you can think straight because sometimes you just can't even think straight. You I mean, what? that's the truth. When I had like the postpartum depression, so I didn't even know that that's what was going on. I was just yeah. like in this deep funk, you mm -hmm. know what I mean? And I mm -hmm. started taking some like antidepressant of some sort. And I only stayed mm -hmm. on it for like six months and then I was fine. And then the next baby that I had, I just routinely got on. I was just like, oh, I'm just going to go ahead and just like get on it. Uh, as soon as I start feeling blue or like I go a few days, like not feeling good, I'm just going to get on it. And, and that's what I did to just sort of, I just had no shame about it. I just did it. But I think that, I think, I mean, that's such wise advice because there really shouldn't be any shame about it. And people have a lot of anxiety, like, am I going to have to stay on it the rest of my life? Yeah. Or I've got to get off this as soon as possible. And that's really not necessarily true. Yeah. Because so. really, I think rushing through it could be worse, you know, like, as opposed to just allowing your body to transition or allowing your, you know, your mental health to improve to the point to where you really feel stable. And then you know, I do think that we rush on and off of it. I am guilty of that too. I mean, yeah. I, you know, it's like, you don't want to be relying on something. Right. But yeah, people I are worried about it. It's like, who cares? it's okay. Yeah. yeah. Relying on things or feeling broken. Yeah. Right? That's a really, that, that is like a mental hurdle to overcome. But, um, but for other people that have bipolar, I mean, it actually becomes, a lifeline because their life normalizes. Yeah. And they will be on medication for the rest of their life, but they are happier and more functional and their life is better. And so really, if you're questioning, if you're not sure, there isn't any harm in trying it either. Try it. True. Yeah. Try it and see, you know, yeah. um, Okay. So then, so then let's say, let's say when should I, instead of going the medicine route, when should I go therapy? Yeah. Well, I think they're both. I'm saying I hypothetically yeah. to any individual, I suppose. Sure. Yeah, of course. Well, everybody needs therapy, so it's all right. <laughs> um, you know, I think, uh, I studies show that um, that for most depression, anxiety, therapy and medication work equally as well. But the combination of both is the most effective. Right. Oh, interesting. OK. Yeah. And so um, so but I'll break down kind of the kinds of therapists so that hopefully you have a little bit more insight. So psychologists are also PhDs and they are people who specialize in individual psychology. So okay. they will have um, individual theories like you might have heard of cognitive behavioral or dialectical behavioral or um, Adlerian. They have an individual um, 
perspective where they are looking at pathology in a person. You are depressed, you are anxious, um, you have PTSD, and they're treating that person um, for that pathology in them, you know, through talk therapy. Okay. Um, uh, psychotherapists is probably like the next category. So those are master's level, typically therapists um, who have, who might be called either licensed mental health counselors, licensed professional counselors in your state, um, licensed clinical social workers. That's all going to be kind of that psychotherapist, um, master's level therapist. Also, um, and those are the individual ones. So kind of coming from the same perspective with those. But, uh, you know, so a licensed professional counselor, licensed mental health counselor, psychologist, they're all pretty much going to have that same individual approach. A licensed clinical social worker comes from um, the social work side of things, and their perspective is very community driven. So what uh, clinical social workers or like an MSW or I saw the abbreviation CSW, so some states must use that as well. I just saw that the other day. Um, and so those, those um, clinicians tend to come from a community perspective. So they do a lot of pulling different community resources together to help people and families. And um, their worldview is very much that, um, that the answer to people's problem is um, like societal support um, and programs. And okay. I've worked with a lot of social workers over the years um, and uh, they do a great job probably with programs in everyone's community that they have no idea about and resources that are there. I always tell people like, Look and see what's there in your community. United Way specifically has tons of resources in like every community across the country, even if it's only a phone resource. You know, they they run the National Suicide Prevention Hotline and they have a lot of just a lot of really amazing resources. And many of them are free of charge. So um, and a really great place to find those is to go to um, is to call 211 which is the national um, human service hotline, or you can go on the computer and look up 211 by your county and it will tell you what services are. Oh, available. nice. Okay. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, do you feel like, so let's talk a little bit about some of the different methods that you listed off, like cognitive therapy versus, I can't remember the one, what, all the terms that you used, but like, what is, what do you use? And then, or maybe some of the different types of, what do you call them, modalities? What do you call that? Yeah, yeah, modalities or um, perspectives, pers theor theories. So, so I'm gonna re ask that question. Yeah. Um, well, so I'm a marriage and so I'll just tell you, I'm a marriage and family therapist. So I, I, I do want to talk about how that's different from those. Okay. Okay. So they're called what? Theories? Um, oh my gosh. I Therapeu therapeutic theories? Therapeutic. Um, now I have modalities stuck in my head. I mean, modalities works too. Um, 
It's just theory. Therapeutic theory. Three I times. mean, it is theory, but not quite. I'll just say the different types of therapy. I'll just keep okay. it more general. Okay. So of all the different types of therapy, what do you do versus what else is available? So I'm a marriage and family therapist, which is really the only kind of systems therapist. So in that way, it's very different from all the other individual perspectives. And the major difference with a systems therapist is that we don't look at pathology within an individual. We look at pathology between things. So the pathology exists in a relationship between two people, not like there's something wrong with you. There's something wrong with you. It's actually the space between people. And it may be, I mean, that doesn't mean I don't work with individuals. I work with individuals all the time. It Mm -hmm. may be the space between how they see themselves and their family or how they see themselves and the world or their community. Like, but the dysfunction the, there's less focus on pathology in an individual and more focus on pathology within the system between gotcha. things. Okay. So I find that that is very, um, that's like very life that really resonates with people because no one wants to believe that they're really broken or that there's something wrong with them. Now, this is not to discount things like bipolar, schizophrenia, things that really are um, foundationally brain disorders that are chemical imbalances. But for most people, um, you know, we all struggle with difficult things and highs and lows in our life. And it tends to be very helpful for people to be able to view themselves as doing the best they can and the dysfunction happening between them. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. So, so when would maybe choosing a marriage and family counselor not be the right choice for someone? Yeah. I guess um, the situations you just, you just said like bipolar, some of those more, what do you call those? Is that considered like a pathology Yeah. I mean, I certainly work with people who are bipolar. Um, I, I think it's right for everybody, but that's because that's because I chose it. I mean, I looked into all of the fields Yeah, um, and I really chose marriage and family therapy because that worldview of looking at problems really resonated with me. I think any of them can work. I think it depends on what resonates with that person. I mean, maybe it's just like if your therapist isn't working, just try a different kind. Right. I would say definitely if you are one big mistake that I see people making is if you are having issues with in a couple, do not go separately to therapy. And the reason is because those people are not invested in your relationship. They are looking to help you, which is their mandate for, you know, counseling is to help you. Their mandate is not to help the relationship because the other person is not there. And um, that being said, if you have somebody who won't go, you should still go. A hundred percent. I'm going to add that. That's Ginger's opinion. Yeah. If you're with someone who refuses to go to couples therapy, in my personal opinion, you go girl or guy, you still go and fix yourself. 
That's right. Well, and there can be a lot of relief from that still. Absolutely. Even, yeah. It doesn't you, mean that like the relationship's going to end. It just means that maybe you'll feel better about what you're deciding to do. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. And you feel better about who you are in the relationship. Yeah. Yeah. And being able to have, I mean, I think that what you're saying is I, I really like that. Just having the perspective of the relationships between me and myself. Mm -hmm. Like it, it sounds funny, but until I really understood how important it was for me to have a good relationship with myself, mm -hmm. I really didn't understand how to re have relationships with other people. I Never. didn't understand the dynamics of like taking deep care of something or someone mm -hmm. or, you know, myself until I figured out, man, I, I really have to know how to take care of myself and how to balance that so that. And then it just spreads out like yeah. that self-development all of a sudden spins out and all of a sudden you're developing all the relationships around you. Yeah. Well, and you can't, you can't be in a relationship looking for them to fill up that love hole inside of you. Right. Like if, if I'm with this person, I'll just feel so much better. I'll, I'll feel um, if if they love me enough, then I'll feel good about myself. But it, that doesn't actually work. And so it is learning to love yourself. It always with couples, I say it's like together, but also separate. You know, right. like you, it's great that you're together and that you choose to go through life together. But it is like an individual pursuit at the end of the day. So, but if you're looking for marriage counseling, please go to counseling together. Like. Yeah, have someone of your own on the side if you want, but engage and engage with a marriage and family therapist. I've worked with lots. I mean, I'm the only well, actually, that's not true. I think there's another MFT at my office now that's like an associate working on her license, but nobody wants couples. None of my, um, you know, colleagues who are licensed professional counselors because it is a lot of dynamics to handle in one room. Yeah. It, is, it is a challenge and it is a skill set to be able to, and I am not always perfect at this. I'm sure there's some former <laughs> client listening who's like, oh yeah, well, she couldn't do that with us. But, you know, to be able to hear, understand both perspectives, have them feel heard and understood, and also like move the conversation forward. Yeah. So, you know, my advice is if it's a couple, otherwise pick something that resonates with you. Many people really like, you know, cognitive behavioral because they're really just looking for really actionable items um, to do. And that's the, that's the right thing for them, you know? Yes. So do you feel like, um, what about with children? Do you think that marriage and family counselors, like if you have a child with ADHD, maybe that's struggling in school and the school counselor maybe catches something and is like, you should probably have him see like a therapist. Um, what type of therapist in that scenario would you recommend? Yeah. Well, I mean, like I said, I'm always going to recommend a marriage or family therapist, okay. but I mean, um, it does make sense like mostly, because of the relationship side of it. Yeah. Mostly because the greatest potential for change exists in the family relationships that's where the greatest potential for change is, is, is in harnessing the power of the, the parents and sometimes the siblings to be able to create change because 
children have very little power over their own life. And often if they're acting out, they're in reaction to that. Mm -hmm. And so helping change the entire system and the environment at home is often the solution to the problem. So again, not to discount like actual chemical brain issues, but, but often that's a good solution. And you mentioned school things. So I'll go through those real quick too, um, because school counselors, um, are not a clinical degree. And this, I didn't know that. Yeah. This often disappoints my students because they think I'm going to go be a school counselor, but it's really more of a guidance counselor position. So it's more like advising on career things and, You might run in smaller grades, you might run like a bullying group or things like that, but it is not clinical and you do not get clinical training and there's no licensing. I think that's really important for people to realize because I've heard a lot of parents talk about school counselors as if they were a therapeutic situation. So I didn't actually know that. Yeah. And not to say that there aren't some school counselors somewhere that have licenses. I'm sure sure that's true, but school counseling as an actual like profession and laid out does not have regulated licensing and it does not have clinical training, which is why it's a much shorter grad degree um, because there's no, there's no clinical portion to it. So um, I think that's important to know. And then school psychologists, um, really, so that's the clinical licensed person at the school usually, but they don't do counseling either. It is really primarily today about testing. Um, It's about testing and IEPs. And so um, again, a really important role, but that's their role. If you typically that person is not going to bring your child in and say, how are you doing? Often schools yeah. actually an LCSW who does the majority of that in a school, but depends on your school system. Um, but a, a school psych psychologist is primarily going to do testing reports, IEPs. Um, and again, like very important, but just a, but just a different role um, in the system. So. Okay, so last question here before we wrap this up. So what about those more difficult um, cases like, you know, schizophrenia or bipolar, like maybe maybe one of our listeners might think they're bipolar or one of their children or their partner is, Mm -hmm. what type of therapy would you recommend for something more like that? Yeah, I mean, um, CBT is traditionally really good for bipolar. And what does that stand for? Uh, cognitive behavioral therapy. Okay. So really looking at how the thoughts uh, influence your behaviors and breaking down uh, the distortions in those thoughts, breaking it down so that you're realizing what's rational and what's irrational. Bipolar is a really tough one because it's kind of one of those things where you can't trust yourself until you figure it out. But I've worked with, you know, lots of clients who medication is going to be key in any situation like this. It will be a lifestyle. It will be part of your life. um, And that's okay. It's great. Um, And, and then, you know, it's really figuring out, okay, when do I, because you can learn when am I cycling up to manic what are my warning signs? How does my physical body feel? And 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 they'll be able to identify that happening. Um, 
And then, and then when do I know I'm going down into the depression side? So it's really learning yourself, learning. Some people only cycle like once a year. Some people cycle every few months, more severe cases. You have, um, you know, more rapid cycling, but medication, 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 just go get an evaluation from a psychiatrist, find out, try it. And, and raising your self-awareness through therapy is really, really helpful to just lifelong management. Okay. Okay. I love that. All right, you guys, do you have anything else you want to add, Amanda? No, no, I think that's it. You guys, that wraps up another podcast. If you have any questions for us, please email us at unfoldreal at gmail.com or check us out on our website, unfoldreal.com. We thank you so much for listening and we'll see you guys next time. Bye.